This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast from late Wednesday evenings by going to the RSN website or SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You've just got to search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. So coming up on this week's show, we're going to be chatting with the coach of the Canadian Northern Lights, Candice Kwan, one year out from the AFL International Cup 2020. Also on the way, we'll find out what happened in week one of the Queensland Australian Football League Women's Finals with Ant Wingard. Lauren Hodgson will drop by to have a look at the second last round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Matthew Cox will go in depth to have a look at the third last round of the VFL women's competition. We'll get scores from WA, from the ACT and Tasmania. We'll also check in with scores out of competitions in Germany, Canada and the United States. All of that's coming up, but first, the latest women's footy news. First, we begin with the St Kilda Football Club. And in the past week, the Saints have added two of their VFLW players to the AFLW squad. Uh, One player being Kate Shearlaw. Now, of course, she played with Carlton in the first two seasons of the AFLW. Originally recruited out of the Wimbledon Hawks in the AFL London Women's League. She gets a second chance at AFLW with the Saints. And we actually hope to have Kate on the show next week. The other player upgraded from VFLW to AFLW is Olivia Vesely. Now, she was a attending at RSCA Park, the unveiling of the new AFL women's wing there at Moorabbin. And Government Minister Mark McCuller was on hand to do all the honours. And he also announced that Olivia had been upgraded to the AFLW list. It shocked her and she spoke to the Saints website immediately afterwards. Yeah, it was such a surprise. I did not think that that was happening at all. Yeah, I'm still surprised to be honest. I can't believe it. I'm really thrilled to be a part of it because I know all the girls um, already and they're all such legends. I really, I really love being around them all. Um, yeah, it's really, really exciting to be part of it and I'm excited to hear the rest of the girls as well. Also in the past week, the Gold Coast Suns announced that former Adelaide Crows footballer and current NT Thunder VFLW footballer Taylor Thorne has been signed to their AFLW list for season 2020. Courtesy of the Gold Coast Football Club website, here is their interview with Taylor Thorne. I'm very humble, but um, the excitement's going to come as the season um, it comes further. <laughs> You've actually just told your teammates about signing with the Suns. Talk me through the experience. What was it like to share the news with them? Um, I've had this uh, feeling in my tummy since I've signed, so it was very hard to keep a secret from my teammates, especially because I was with them almost every single day. Um, but I, they pushed me to this point, and um, I'm just excited, um, and hopefully I get to play for them as well. You've actually been on an AFLW list before. Are you excited to get back into that elite level again? Yeah, so I do have the AFLW experience, so I'm I'm looking very forward to uh, the 2020 season. Um, I think I can bring uh, different skill sets, uh, different leadership skills, so I'm very excited to share that and I've come back bigger, better, stronger, so um, watch out. (laughs) You've been part of our recent QW Winter Series as well. Talk me through the experience of playing as a son throughout that. Uh, That was very exciting, something different. 
different to the VFLW season. Uh, I enjoyed every minute of it, uh, meeting the girls, um, having a couple of the Darwin girls in the team as well. So I, I felt as uh, at home. Um, I knew I knew a couple of the coaches as well. They're from, they've been in Darwin before, so it felt home. We've just spoken about being at home. Does Suns kind of feel like one big family, particularly as we start getting ready for 2020? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, every club has their has their traits and. Uh, Family is a big trait for me and Gulf Coast has the same so I feel like it's a, it's a perfect match so I'm very excited. For the Suns fans who haven't been able to see you play yet, what can they expect from you out on field? Where do you play and what, how do you go about your game? Um, just a lot of bursts from me, um, very powerful burst. Uh, I, like, I like a good tackle as well so um, the excitement is there. Um, yeah, yeah, just when you watch me um, get around the ball there's always something um, kind of be exciting coming from that so um, even when I watch replays it's, it's a bit like how did I do that and why did I do that so um, I get excited when I see that as well and um, with the back line that we've played with the winter series uh, I feel like I'm at home with them as well and we get along very nicely so um, it's going to be a very uh, well family back line back there. Now, the GWS Giants have wrapped up their five-game VFLW Invitational Series with a loss to the Collingwood Magpies. A little bit more on that in our VFL Women's segment with Matthew Cox later on in the program. But first of all, here was Roger Moten, the GWS Giants VFLW head coach, speaking before the game against the Pies, and Tanya Hetherington, GWS Giants fullback, speaking after the match about what the Giants got out of this five-game VFLW Invitational Series. Look, it's, it's an awesome opportunity. You know, the girls get away. We um, we obviously get down here and we prepare very well as a team, um, having that extra uh, day of being around each other. And probably the most important thing was always to see new talent um, and develop some of the girls. Now, some of the girls have been on our list and uh, subsequently been um, delisted. But for them to, to continue to press on and, and try to prove themselves as a, a genuine, you know, bona fide uh, AFLW player, it's been terrific to have that um, uh, those girls back in and, and pushing not only the AFLW girls who have returned and will return with a contract, but also the girls that are on the on the fringe of Sydney AFL or Canberra and um, are looking for an opportunity. So the development side has been massive, and um, you know we, we've definitely looked upon it favourably and something we'd like to continue with going forward. And what about for the AFL, AFLW girls like Alicia Eva and some of those girls coming through? Do you see this as a continuation on from their AFLW season, preparing them for next year, or is this sort of just a bit of extra work that they can put in? Oh, no, look, we, we want the girls playing as much footy as they can. I mean, they, they get to an AFLW season, they play seven games, and, uh, you know, it's, it's gone in the blink of an eye. So to, to not have any footy through the winter months, um, you know, we've seen some of the girls who have carried injury in t- from last season that this winter period they were injured, not able to play any football. When it got to the AFLW season, they were definitely behind the eight ball in terms of some just their touch and and their their footy uh, output. So to have them playing through the winter is it's hugely beneficial for us as a club. Um, obviously, we we hope to raise the standard, but just having the girls around and, and around all our staff that that have input into their preparation um, for twelve months of the year has just been huge. So, what do you have you taken out now from the five games here? It, 
the Invitational Series. Yeah, well, it's been a really good um, thing, especially for the girls in Sydney, because the competition's not as strong as it is in, in the VFL. So to come down, it's a really good opportunity for those girls to play against, you know, like Richmond's and, and teams like that to get a bit of experience. Um, so it's been really a really good uh, opportunity as well. Like we've got a lot of girls that we'll, we will be looking at to draft from our, from the VFL experience. So we definitely take a lot out of it and hopefully we'll see if we can progress it next year, whatever that looks like. I think it's been a really worthwhile experience. And what's the main message from Roger when you're playing these games? What does he kind of say to get you up and about and what does he try to achieve and what you guys try to achieve out of these games? Yeah, so we we try not to focus on the opposition. So we just try and focus on us and, and the things that we want to improve in. You know, in a bit of AFLW sense, you know, that we can take into that, but also just to get girls, you know, used to playing um, together, like we've, you know, even though we're, at, I guess, an AFLW site, we're kind of inexperienced as well because we've got a lot of girls who've never played together or played in this kind of environment. So we tend to just focus on, you know, if it's contested ball or just, you know, looking for the switch, just really basic things, just to try and improve on every week. And we would just take something into the next game. So yeah, Roger's been really clear to focus on us and not really the opposition. And finally, football journalist Caroline Wilson has had a crack at the AFL for its lack of future planning for the AFL women's competition. Here's Caroline speaking on Footy Classified on the Nine Network. The AFL has a problem with women. To be specific, the AFLW and how to run a competition that loses money. But that doesn't help hundreds of young women around the country who still have no clear idea as to how many games they're going to play in 2020 or when their season is going to start. A few weeks ago, it was early January, then back to early February, back to mid-January, and now it seems to be early February again. AFLX, no AFLX. It's just inconceivable to me that part-time footballers who are planning moves into state, taking long service leave and putting study on hold, still don't know, again, as we approach this third AFLW season, when it is going to start. But that's the story of the AFLW. Where is the long-term plan? And how on earth are we going to fit 18 teams into the competition by 2024? Whatever happened to a fresh new league and that blank piece of paper? Gillen, where is the long-term strategy for AFLW? And that's the latest women's footy news. So to our featured guest for this week, we are just a year away from the AFL International Cup 2020, where the best men's and women's sides from outside of Australia come to meet to do battle to take home the crown of international champions in the women's division it was the irish banshees in 2011 it was the canada northern lights in 2014 and then the irish took back the crown in 2017 canada want to get back to the top of the heap and they've changed coaches jason arnold has now handed over the reins to candace kwan she is the new head coach of the canada northern lights they have their national training camp their second one for the year coming up in montreal this weekend we thought it was a great time to get her on the line candace great to have you here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. You may have seen on the uh, internet the snow at the footy in Canberra. So I should ask you, how's the weather like up there in the Great North in Canada? Uh, well, the weather here um, is different depending on where you are in Canada. Um, I'm in Toronto and our summer here has been uh, pretty hot and humid. Well, let's talk about you taking over the Northern Lights role. Of course, previously the, the side was coached by Jason Arnold. How have you settled into the head coach's role? 
Well, the journey so far has been very exciting. Uh, this past summer has been filled with lots of footy all around our country at different levels. We've had um, our first national training camp that we had in Calgary back in May, and it ran uh, really smoothly, and it was very exciting to see all uh, the players come out. Um, I'm supported by some really great people on the coaching staff uh, who have supported me and I've been able to collaborate with in order to plan um, our program. And I also have a really good team manager and she's done a lot of work to help things on the administrative side. Um, it also helps that uh, some people on our coaching staff and our manager used to also play for the Northern Lights and so have some personal knowledge of exactly how the tournament runs. So overall, as a team, things have been going very well, and we're looking forward to um, the new year running up to IC20. What stage are you at with the squad, particularly in terms of numbers? So in May, we had our uh, first national training camp in Calgary. We had about 50 women come and attend, and we ran through a weekend of different skills, fitness testing, games, um, and that gave us a pretty good idea of what we have around our country. And after that, everyone went back to uh, their own local footy, and they had time to develop their skills with their own teams. And this coming weekend, we will be traveling to Montreal and having our second and final national selection camp. So at this camp, we have about 60 women attending. And uh, we'll be doing some similar things to what we did in Calgary to have some direct comparison. And we anticipate after this camp, we will be starting to name the team. Um, how much turnover has there been from the IC17 list to compared to what you have right now? So we have some really great new players coming up and showing us um, how they developed. And I anticipate on our IC20 team that we will have... Um, some players that will be in their first IC and that will have a significant impact on the success of the team. Uh, at the same time, we also have a number of vets that are looking to come back and could potentially be playing in their fourth IC, which makes a very nice mix of having both uh, lots of experience and then also some youth coming in. And I think that's essential to the success of uh, the program as well as uh, the continued growth of footy in Canada. So having a continuing uh, mix of that and having players that are new constantly coming up and being exposed to the sport, as well as our veterans that have been around for uh, quite a bit and being able to share with all those new players, you know, their experience that they have gotten. And I think it really speaks to the, uh, the health and growth of women's footy in Canada. Um, who have been some of the new recruits that have really stood out, particularly at the previous national camp in Calgary and obviously in the local competitions currently underway in places like Vancouver, uh, through Ontario and uh, also over in Montreal? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really excited to see some of our new players and uh, what they're going to show us this weekend. Uh, we have some players that have really only picked up the sport in the last one, two or three years and they really excelled in Calgary, and with um, with some of these players, another summer of local footy, um, I expect to see a lot of improvement, and it's really exciting uh, to anticipate that. 
Um, as for the such a team sport, we have so many unique skills required for the team to be successful. When we're selecting our team, we're going to be looking at players that um, each can bring something that will complement the needs of the team. And um, so we're, we're anticipating that some of those players will definitely be rookies on the international stage. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, in the past, there's been a development side along with the Northern Knights. That was the, pardon me, the Northern Knights. That was the Midnight Suns. Uh, they played at uh, IC14. Uh, uh, Three years ago, they didn't go to IC17, but they actually went across for a tournament over in London. Um, what is the plan? Will there be a Midnight Suns again uh, this 2020? Uh, at the moment, we are focusing on our Northern Lights program. Um, it is We're always looking to help develop footy um, in our country and provide opportunities for those players that do not make the team uh, because we have many players around our country that do want to play. Um, some challenges that sometimes that arise in a country like us where we're very large and it is difficult to get players together. Um, and a lot of times when we are trying to do things like this uh, financially can be a challenge for all the players because every time they are the ones that have to finance their own way. Uh, to travel just within our country is expensive and to travel to other competitions. So at the moment, we're focusing on our lights program, but we're always um, looking for other ways to help develop all of our other players that are in our country. Now, of course, as you said, you've got the camp coming up in Montreal this weekend. After that camp, uh, what's the plan with the year building up to uh, IC 2020 in August, possibly in Melbourne? Um, how often are you looking at training together? Have you been considering uh, uh, one or two scratch matches, either amongst themselves or the Northern Lights, whether it be playing the US, whether it be playing GB Swans, uh, Irish Banshees, whatever, uh, before you get to the International Cup? Um, like I just mentioned, it, it is challenging for as uh, the whole team to get together um, in terms of financial financial commitments and time commitments. With these two camps, uh, many players it, uh, that have been going for selection have now had to fly uh, twice across our country, particularly those that uh, are in Vancouver, and that can be um, challenging. So in the next year leading up to the camp, um, we will be trying at every opportunity to get as many players together as possible. Usually that looks like um, centered around a couple of cities, major cities, that we have a number of players that are congregated already. So there will be lots of training, um, localized training for those national team members that are uh, in close proximity to each other. Um, and we will be looking to get the whole team together if we can um, within the constraints that we have. And uh, traditionally, we have traveled to the uh, International Cup before the tournament has started to give us an opportunity for everyone to be get together all in one place and to get some good training as a team as a whole. Well, Candice, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best with the national camp coming up uh, this weekend in Montreal. And we look forward to seeing you and the Northern Lights, hopefully down here in Melbourne, once they confirm the venue and date for IC 2020 next year. Thank you very much. I enjoyed talking with you.
Well, since we're focusing on the international women's footy scene, let's get the latest results from women's footy competitions around the world. Uh, staying, first of all, in Canada for the AFL Ontario women's competition. They had round 10 over the weekend. Hamilton Wildcats 6-11-47 defeated the Ottawa Swans 5-6-36. Round 11 is coming up this Thursday night at Humber College South where the High Park Demons play host to the Etobicoke Kangaroos. Across the United States, Australian Football League. One Canadian side participating in that competition over the weekend. Vancouver teamed up with Seattle to take on the Denver Bulldogs-Portland Sockeyes combination. And Seattle were victorious 3-2-20 over the Denver-Portland combination, just the one behind. The LA Dragons-Arizona Hawks combination went down to the Sacramento Suns, 7-2-44 to 8-8-56. Across to Nashville and the Nashville Kangaroos took care of the Columbus Cats, 13-11-94 to 2-5-17. And heading up to Minnesota, the Freeze, big winners over the North Star Blue Ox, 2010-130 to North Star, 2-5-17. Across the AFL Germany Women's Premiership competition, uh, round five has concluded. Uh, the Rhein-Main Redcats, 27-127, defeated the Southern Tiger Roos, 2-2-14. And the Hamburg Dockers, 6-6-42, went down in a thriller to the Berlin Crocodiles 7-2-44 and at the conclusion of the home and away season, uh, Berlin and Hamburg will meet in the grand final to be played in Cologne on Saturday the 7th of September if you've got friends in Europe tell them hey, get to Germany to check out some AFL women's footy action for the AFL Germany women's premiership, uh, they're still playing in the Nordic women's AFL competition, uh, round 5 to be played this Saturday Day in Farum, Denmark, where the Farum Wildcats play host to the Undesi Lionesses. And that is our look at the international women's footy scene. We're going to come back and focus on State League women's footy right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On RSN Carnival, you're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Having a look back at results for the West Australian Football League Women's Competition. Round 13 played over the weekend. Claremont, 8-4-52, defeated the Peel Thunder, 5-3-33. And Swan Districts got over the line against the East Fremantle Sharks in a close one, 7-2-44 to 5 8 38. Here's Swan District's coach, Carrington Allen. Bit of a tale of two halves. I thought um, our first quarter was pretty good. We were pretty good out of the blocks. Um, took a bit of time to get into the first quarter, but kicked a couple early, which was handy. I then thought East Fremantle took, took advantage of the win in the second quarter and really got on top. And two, I mean, our girls' credit, our second half was, was really good. We grinded our way through to get on top and ended up winning by a kick. So... Um, individual efforts, I thought uh, Bianca Webb and Ange Stannard in the guts all day were fantastic, really set the tone. Um, I thought their tackle pressure and their, their run and work rate was um, fantastic. Um, second half, you know, our back line were really strong. Um, Bree Hyde 
and Maguire down back, um, Lauren Osborne, but Amy Ralph played a couple of roles today, which lockdown defender, which I thought she got the job done really well. Our forwards all day, they tried, they pressed um, and got on the end of a few late, which was fantastic. Um, our captain pushed her back in the last quarter, wanted to drive off the halfback to create some scores and she set up two goals for us. So um, again, a fantastic effort um, by the whole entire squad. First time that we've had two wins um, in a row. Really looking forward now to regrouping this week, playing Peel down um, in Mandra on Saturday, and then uh, we'll see how we go there um, in the lead-up to finals. So really well, well done by the girls um, and looking forward to the next week on the track. In round 14 of the WAFLW to be played this weekend, Peel Thunder play hostess one districts at David Gray's Arena, 2pm Saturday, that game being the video stream game, and at 5pm at Leaderville Oval on the Saturday, Subiaco play host to Claremont. And joining us on the line now here at RSN Carnival to take a look back at the first week of finals in the Bond University QAFL women's competition. It's great to have on the line Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. We've served up the first week of finals. Let's take a look back at what happened in the first game. Bond University, of course, their first ever final series. They finished as minor premiers and they showed why against Yoronga South Brisbane. Yeah, and that's right. They, you know, they really do just go from strength to strength. And you know, against a, a really good side like Yoronga, I think this could almost be Bond's best performance, uh, best team performance of the season. And um, it comes at a good time of the year. Obviously, they've booked their ticket um, to the grand final, so you know it's great form for them. It looked a bit, I don't know, even at the start. You know, uh, Jackie Yorson got a goal early for Yoronga and. Um, it, it really looked as if, you know, we were in for a good showing, a good even wrestle between the two teams. But then, you know, Bond came out in the second and third quarter and just piled on the goals. And um, it, it was the usual suspects, uh, suspects Kalinda Howarth kicked a few. Taylor Smith, who she's had a few good games for the Bullsharks this year, um, performed, you know, quite reasonable for... Queensland at under 18 level but I think certainly this was her best game of the year and then uh, Esther Bowles bobbed up for a few as well but what was kind of strange for me was Yoronga's ball movement in the back half of the of the field and um, it almost looked, they were, looked like they were indecisive at points and um, you know those uh, created a few turnovers and then Bond were obviously able to capitalise on those so you know, you're only going to get a second roll of the dice this week, but I think that's one area that they would certainly uh, like to improve in. Final scores there, 10-8-68, Bond University defeating Yuronga South Brisbane, two straight 12. Bond University, the ticket straight through to the grand final. Yuronga South Brisbane in the preliminary final, a date with Cooperoo. Now, the final score here, Cooperoo, 11-7-73, defeating Maruchidor, 3-2-20, would suggest it was a one-sided game. But it wasn't the case in the first half. No, it wasn't. And it almost looked like Maruchidor were, were going to run away um, with a pretty strong win, just like Cooper did, which is a bit you know, perplexing when you look at the final score. But it certainly looked like the Roos were the team to beat. The team uh, full of run and carry and their pressure around the ball um, was far better than Cooper And, um, you know, a few late goals uh, in the second quarter really set up the Roos for a strong second half. Um, and it really just fell apart after that. And um, obviously, Cooperu were there. They capitalised, and um, a lot of their AFLW contingent stood tall. And 
you know, they kicked, oh, I think, four, four goals in the second half uh, after the 20-minute period. So a lot of junk time goals that iced the game um, for them. But, you know, their second half was... It was really remarkable. You know, I think Tori grows little across halfback. Um, she was a real force um, there. And, you know, we know how much she can run and carry, but I think her defensive um, nous against Maruchador, um was really, really good. And she was definitely one that helped set up that strong second half for, for Cooperu. To put it into context, at halftime, the score was Maruchidor, three straight, 18, leading Cooperu by 10 points, one, two, eight. Then after halftime... Maruchidor would only score the two behinds and Kuparu would put on a, uh, put on 10 goals, five. Mm, it's probably worth mentioning too that Kuparu's uh, only goal um, in the first quarter, uh, sorry, in the first half, came with about 15 seconds to go in the half. So, you know, they only really got on the scoreboard, you know, right at the death and that turnaround in the second half, it's almost, you know, a tale of two halves. Absolutely. And that books Cooperu a spot in the preliminary final against Yoronga South Brisbane. It happens 4.45pm at Leishon Park. That's Saturday. Who's going to win, the Devils or the Kings? Oh, I, I really don't know because, you know, I, I know when we spoke last week, I said that I don't really trust Yoronga. And then towards the back of the week leading into the game with Bond, my mood kind of changed because... You know, Yoronga had beaten Bond twice this year and, you know, the second time they played each other, you know, Yoronga gave Bond pretty much their worst loss of the season. And then, obviously, you know, their first final didn't pan out that well. And then for Cooperu, it's a bit strange, um, you know, the team that just made it into the finals um, and just clawed their way into the top four, Um you know, hung on, hang on in the first half against Maruchador and then powered home in the second. They're, they're almost the team that enter the preliminary final in the best form out of the two, which is strange considering the form that Yoronga has produced probably more consistently throughout the season. So it's a strange matchup and I'm kind of glad that it's panned out this way. I think we all knew probably Bond were the team to beat and they've you know, proven that they're in the granny. Um, and it's down to Yoronga and Cooper, who are probably the biggest rivals um, in the QAFLW. You know, they've played in countless finals um, together. So I'm really expecting you know, an interesting contest, but I think this one will probably be a little bit more even than the two uh, semifinals we saw uh, sorry, an elimination final and a qualifying final that we saw um, a week ago. But I just think the Cooperu somehow, uh, with all their talent, you know, all their marking ability inside 50 and all their run and carry, I just think that they'll be the team that comes out on top and sets up a pretty good date next week with Bond University. Again, Saturday, 4.45pm at Leishon Park. Get on down there to see Yoronga South Brisbane versus Cooperu to find out who will meet Bond University in the grand final the following weekend. And thank you very much for your company. And we look forward to chatting with you next weekend when we discuss the QAFLW grand final. 
Awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. Looking back at round 14 of the AFL Canberra First Grade Women's Competition and Ainsley Tricolors just got the one behind going down to Eastlake Demons 6-14-50. Balconer Magpies 8-9-57 defeated Quimbian Tigers 3-2-20 while the Tuggeranong Hawks 14-17-101 the Gungahlin Jets no score. To the 15th and final round of the home and away season on Friday night, 6.30pm at Football Park. Eastlake Demons play host to the Tuggeranong Hawks. 2.45pm Saturday at Allensure Park. Quimby and Tigers play host to the Ainsley Tricolors. Well, 3.45pm Saturday, a Gungahlin enclosed oval. The Balcon and Magpies take on the Gungahlin Jets. And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival to take a look back at the second last round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division at Scratch I have on the line, Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Excited that we're almost at finals time. And I'd like to say there were some close results in this round, but it wasn't to be the case. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at the East Coast Eagles and the UTS Bats. Uh, East Coast 7-12-54, uh, defeating the Bats 3 straight 18. Yeah, well, six goals difference, but um, look, some people wouldn't have picked the the bats to get as close as they did, given the form the Eagles have have been in. Um, look, the the Eagles were in front right from the get go. Uh, the UTS did get a goal on the board early, but um, from their first goal in the first quarter, they couldn't get another score until the fourth quarter, and it's something we've become accustomed to. I think um, this season is the uh, the dominance of the Eagles and their sort of consistent performance. Um, surprisingly, though, the Eagles didn't get a goal in the last quarter. Uh, goal kickers for the Bats were Trenner with two and um, Bean with one. And for the East Coast Eagles, Wilson for McGartland two and Goodsir, um a single. So, um, yeah, look, with one game to go, uh, the Eagles are certainly uh, well placed. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs could only register the one behind going down to Macquarie University, 8-4-52. Yeah, look, I thought Mac Uni would win, but by no means did I think it would be in this fashion with the Bulldogs uh, only getting a solitary behind, which came in the second quarter. Uh, look, the the Warriors were just thorough. Uh, started with three goals nil in the first quarter uh, and slowly built from there. And, um, you know, they've, they've shown why they've been such a top side over the last sort of two to three years in Premier Division. Uh, Park and Smith, and Hall were the best players for the Bulldogs. Uh, and for the Warriors, Russell kicked three, and then there were singles to uh, yeah, uh, Smythe, uh, Aubrey, Keeley, um, Russell, and Pippa Smythe. And, uh, I mean, most of those players are also amongst their best. So, look, they're, they're going along well uh, heading into finals like the Eagles. As we head to the third game of the round, the Inouez Magpies, one straight six, no match for the Southern Power, 5-7-37. Yeah, so it feels funny to say, Peter, that this was the closest game of the round, given that it was still 31 points different. Uh, the Magpies are actually up at quarter time, kicking a one goal straight to um, the powers behind. Uh, but after that, the, uh, well, West, West Magpies didn't score and, and Power just sort of kept building that lead nicely. Uh, the single goal kicker for the Magpies was Marshall. Um, Lawson, Freckleton and Causley Todd were amongst their best uh, whilst the goal kickers for Southern Power were Ash McClure with two, uh, Taylor Smith, Ree Lotter and Kate Dunlop uh, had singles and uh, Hull, Ease and McClure were amongst the best for power. And in the final game of the round, the Sydney Uni Bombers 13-18-96 defeated the Newtown Breakaways, just the one behind. Yeah, look, the Breakaways, I imagine, um, 
would be pretty happy that the season would be finishing this round. Um, it hasn't been enjoyable. They haven't been able to get on the winner's board. And, and it was always going to be a, a tough ask against the Bombers who are third place uh, on the ladder and, uh, you know, perennial um, finals contenders. Uh, goal kick is four. The Bombers were Laven with four. Gillen, three. Uh, Roditas, two. Palazzo, two. And then singles, two. Hurrell and through. And uh, look, they're, they're going along nicely as well. Um, the Bombers will definitely have to step it up if they're going to match it with Mac Uni and the East Coast Eagles are in the finals. Um, but a nice percentage booster and a, and a good win coming into finals up for them, Peter. So let's have a look at the final round and a very intriguing last game, which I'll get to in a moment's time. But we'll start at, at Saturday. 10.40am at Cambridge Oval, the East Coast Eagles versus the Inner West Magpies, first versus sixth. Yeah, look, I think the Eagles will win fairly comfortably here. It will be interesting to see whether the Eagles um, rest some of their players or, um, you know, whether they... Uh, I don't think they'll take their foot off the pedal as such. Once you cross the, the white line, it's pretty hard to do so. But it will be interesting to see if they rest some of their players or maybe try some different things, knowing they've got a top two sewn up. A battle between the bottom two sides at 12.30pm at Mahoney Park. Uh, Newtown Breakaways versus the UTS Bats. Yeah, look, I think this could be one of the closest games of the round. Um, I said both clubs that, uh, won't be playing finals. Uh, the breakaways would be very keen to, to get the win on the board so they don't go through the uh, the season without a win. Um, but I think that's going to be tough, and I think the Bats might do it in a close one. I'll skip to the game at 3.10pm. That's at Macquarie University. This is second versus third. One game separates them, but positions will not change because a percentage gap of over 500%. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, I know, 500% is the difference. Not, I mean, that's just phenomenal, isn't it? <laughs> I know, it's unbelievable. Uh, Macquarie University versus the Sydney Uni Bombers. Uh, look, uh, I think Mac Uni will win here. Um I think it'll be a close one, probably the closest contest between these two sides all year. Um, but look, given they're at home, uh, I think McUni will win by sort of three to four goals. So to the final game of the round, and this is at 1.30pm at Waratah Oval this Saturday, one win separates the side and barely any percentage. I think it's something like 0.63, so it's very tight. The fourth place Southern Power versus UNSW, UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs at Southern Power's home ground at Waratah Oval? Yeah, look, it's, it's certainly... Um, um, I can't remember the last time a season was poised like this with um, such a, a key game um, going into the final round, Peter. And uh, as I said, um, you know, some of the other positions, are, I don't think they can change in the ladder. But um, look, this one, who, I, whoever wins this, I think will go through to fourth. I don't know... I don't know the maths. Um, I don't know if a one-point margin um, would uh, would get the Bulldogs through, given that they are four points behind power. Look, I think whoever wins this match is going to go through. Um, I think it's going to be very close, and I think power might just get there, given they're, um, they're going to be playing at home, and we'll have uh, uh, a good support on the hill cheering for them. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's uh, less than a goal in it. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to hearing from you next week when you tell us who made the finals and how it all plans out for week number one.
Yeah, really looking forward to it, Peter. So Tasmanian State League women's competition, round 14 played over the weekend. North Launceston, 3-2-20, went down to Glenorchy, 9-11-65. Clarence, 9-24-78, defeated Lauderdale, 1-1-7, while Launceston, 12-17-89, defeated Tigers, 1-2-8. To round 15 of the Tasmanian Women's League, on Saturday, 4pm at KGV, Glenorchy play host to Lauderdale, Dale. Sunday, 12pm at Twin Ovals. It's Tigers versus North Launceston. And 12pm at Winter Park. It's Launceston versus Clarence. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules football coming up just after this. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Time to turn our attention now to the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. The third last round of the season was played over the weekend. And to take a look back at it, we've got on the line Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Very well, Pete. Very well. Another big weekend of VFLW action. Uh, which has basically seen the top six settle into position. Now, the Cats are still a chance that uh, they're going to have to, they've got their work cut out. They sit a game outside the top six at the moment and have, they have the worst percentage um, of the group in the mix for finals. So, a little tough now for last year's grand finalists. We'll review their game against the Muggers shortly. There are a couple of other close games across the weekend and a couple of other blowouts as well. So a mixed bag from round 14 of the VFLW season. And let's start by looking at what happened at Downer Oval. It was uh, 11th versus 13th. Uh, the last place, Weemstown, are really limping to the end of the season. Uh, it's been a season to forget, really, for them. They've only racked up the four behinds against Darabin in this match. Uh, the Falcons, 7-11-53, a big win in Aliso Day's 200th match of senior women's football. Yeah, it's an, a big congratulations to her as well. 200 games, it's a significant milestone for Junior. I think we can still get away with calling her that, her nickname down at the Falcons. And, of course, a, a big part of things at the Melbourne Football Club during the AFLW season. So big congratulations to her. as Darabin, I, I don't know how much you can read into the form of the back end of the season. They've been putting in some great results against sides that are around them on the ladder um, against some of the more stronger sides of the competition. They've obviously had their, their work cut out. But the, the fact that they've been scoring, I think, is a positive for Darabin um, and finishing the season on a high. It's been a big change this season for them. We've discussed that numerous times, not only in this segment, but throughout our broadcasts during the year. Um, a, a, a much different Falcon side and the fact that they've been able to get some positive results towards the end of the year, I think, um, is credit to them and hopefully um, means that they'll flow on into next year uh, with some momentum and, and with the talent that they've got coming through, who knows whether they might be in the mix next year. But Williamstown, uh, it, it is disappointing, I suppose, the result, only getting four behinds on the weekend, but 
given the the season, I don't think it's it's been too disappointing for them. I think it's there's been moments this year that you can take positives away from, and, and we heard from the word go when we went to down our oval first up. I think uh, Williamstown playing GWS was their opening game of this the season, and. Hearing Amy Catterall there speak about the fact that it was so young, they were so focused on, on developing and trying to lay a foundation for future years. I think you can you can grab the glimpses that they've seen this year and I think you can give them a pass mark. The last couple of weeks, fatigue's obviously starting to set in to the season, particularly for the players that are not used to state league level football and I think that's becoming more apparent. I thought this game was going to be a lot closer than it actually was but credit to Darabin for, for pushing it well in their favour. Wilson kicked two goals for them. Arnell, Byrne, Lister, Pierce, and Simpson were the other goal kickers, the leading possession getters on the ground in her 200th game. 25 touches went the way to Elisa Day and Lauren Pierce continues to be there or thereabouts. 25 touches as well on the weekend. One goal, two, and 49 hit-outs. The leading possession getter for Williamstown was Moana Hope with 21. We go to Box Hill City Oval. This was the Casey Demons' last shot at trying to make the finals because they've already played 13 games. That means they have a bye coming up. They needed to win, and then I obviously hope that results will start to go their way. They fell agonisingly short by three points. Casey, 3-4-22, going down to Hawthorne, 3-7-25. Yeah, it was a one that Hawthorne potentially should have won by a lot more. Two goals, six to half time to one goal, one. So that's eight scoring shots to two in the opening half of football. Casey able to work their way back into the game in the final term and, and be a little more competitive on the scoreboard and make it incredibly close. Hawthorne didn't put them away. And I just, I'm fearful that Hawthorne are, they've, they've had some outstanding results in week, recent weeks, but the consistency isn't quite there. They've been up a little up and down, which is making their form line a little hard to read. They're not, entirely safe either. Their spot inside the top six isn't cemented and if results don't go their way, they could find themselves in a little bit of trouble. But at the moment, they're doing enough to stay in. Whether they whether they can match it to those top couple of sides of the competition, you've probably got a better insight after seeing them on the weekend, Pete, but I just question whether they can match it against the likes of Hawthorne, the Southern Saints. Um, you can even put Richmond into that category on their day. They can do some outstanding things as well. Whether Hawthorne, I think Hawthorne, when they're up and about, they could. But this inconsistency is just hurting, um, in in my opinion, for them. The KC Demons, we've, we've discussed them all season long. Their, their consistency has, has been a factor as well throughout the season. They started really well, had a poor middle part. And as you said, this was the last roll of the dice for them on the weekend to get into the top six. Unfortunately, though, it doesn't look like that will go their way now. Cordner, Guerin and Notman were their goal kickers on the weekend. McWilliams kicked two goals and Tamara Luke also had a goal for them on the weekend. The inside 50s, fairly similar, 23 to 21. Hit outs massively in favour of Hawthorne. The advantage 20, 54 to 34. Um, apart from that, the other statistics were relatively the same. So 
Casey competitive around the ground. Lampard racked up 28 touches for the Demons. Beeson was the best for Hawthorne with 24 touches and 10 tackles. I will say one thing about the Casey Demons out of that game. I thought their defence was actually pretty good, and I thought their midfield actually went pretty well as well. Uh, I just find that they're struggling in the forward half. They're struggling for targets. They try to make a, a target out of Notman, who performed okay as their 23rd player. But um, without, obviously, Eden Zanker playing in the side, no Tegan Cunningham, they really struggle without someone at centre-half forward pushing up the ground and someone to aim for in the goal square. And you just had a feeling that if, if they had someone there, like Cawthorn had the advantage of McWilliams and Perkins and Luke, the, it, it would have been a comfortable Casey victory for the Hawks. A bit of wasted opportunities, but at the same time, as much as we criticised them in this game after their good win against Melbourne Uni the week prior, conditions very different from both games. Uh, sticky oh, centre wicket yeah. there at Box Hill City Oval and the rain coming down as well didn't help at all. No, no. It was a very ordinary. I think that's being very kind to the weather that graced us on Saturday. I just... Uh, I want to know from you, Pete, this point last year, Hawthorne set themselves up for finals. Have they done that? You've seen them the last two weeks. Have they done that based on on what they're displaying at the moment? Or is there still this question mark over which side's going to turn up and perform? I think you hit the nail on the head. Which side will turn up? When they're good, they're the best side in the competition. When they're off the boil... They're a mid-range team. You'd call them a sixth or seventh side. Uh, And it's been too inconsistent. And I've just got this feeling that they could, if they made the finals, they could win the first week and have a very good game. And then the second week could then just bottle it and fall over. I can't see them, particularly if they finish in the fifth or sixth spot, putting together four solid weeks of football to win the premiership. No, I think I think you're accurate there. Just, I mean, you, you've seen them. I'm only looking at the score sheets for most of these games, um, but I get that impression. It just hasn't been it hasn't been the Premiership defence that I think they would have liked. I think the, the season has, has swung um, many different directions, and they they just haven't been able to get the rhythm that they probably would have liked. Particularly early on, it took them a long time to get going. I think four four weeks or so. Um, so the, the start of the season was a little poor and they just haven't been able to click, um, except for when, when they come uh, mentally prepared for a game and, and, and they're ready to go. Apart from that, um, yeah, they, they're just they're a side that's been hard to read in 2019. At Deakin University, Geelong 4-6-30 went down to Melbourne University 7-2-44. Yeah, the scoring shots in this game, it's uh, 10 to 9 in favour of the Cats. So the, the Cats had their opportunities and had they been more accurate, they uh, they would have would have been able to clinch this one and put the pressure back on Melbourne University for that final spot inside the top six. As I alluded to a little earlier, the Cats currently sit a game outside the top six now, courtesy of the defeat on the weekend. Uh, probably what's more disappointing is the fact that they didn't get a goal in the second half despite having four scoring shots in it. And Melbourne University were able to pull away and were more accurate on the scoreboard as well in the second half. Um, there, uh, we were just talking about the inconsistency for Melbourne University. 
uh, sorry, for Hawthorne, when it comes to Melbourne University, I think they're the team that you're going to have to watch out for come finals because I've got a feeling, even though they've also had their issues with consistency throughout the season, I think they've found the balance in the last few weeks. And now that they're rolling into finals, I think even though they, they went down the other week to Hawthorne, I just get the impression that Melbourne University are more prepared for the final series to come and could cause upsets if they get the opportunity to. Um, Gibson kicked three goals for them on the weekend. Angelus, Bruton, Garner and Kearney, uh, the goal kickers for them for the Cats. Maguire kicked two, Clark and Vanderhoeven were the other goal kickers. Melbourne University had 53% of the percentage, uh, sorry, 53% of the possession on the weekend. Um, they only had three more hit-outs. The inside 50s, more in favour of Geelong. So again, they had more opportunities. They were inaccurate, 38 to 30, uh, the final stat there for the inside 50s in favour of the catch. The leading possession getters on the ground, dominated again by Melbourne University. Uh, that's four of the top five players uh, were from their side of the equation. Garner racked up 31 touches, Riddle 23, Trend 21. Then you had Olivia Purcell with 20, one of the young stars for the Cats, and then Bruton with 19. Let's go to Carlton and Richmond. This game was moved to Icon Park, but it didn't help the Blues. 3-3-21 going down to Richmond, 10-9-69. And again, Richmond incredibly inaccurate. The game could have been over at quarter time. They kicked six behinds to just one behind from Carlton. So they were in the game at quarter time, Carlton, and then Richmond were able to get their uh, goal-kicking boots on and, and pull away in the second term at halftime. It was 4-7 to 1-1. One, one. Um, Richmond, again, they're, they're probably... I think we can put them into the category of your Collingwood and the Southern Saints. That They had a, a bit of uh, of the season where they just dropped off the pace a little bit, but I feel as if they're also just starting to build nicely into September. Carlton, the, the season in terms of VFLW win-loss ratio has been an absolute write-off, um, and, and it's puzzling, as I think we've alluded to in the last couple of weeks, just where the season's gone from them, whether they're testing versatility of players or not. Um, I mean, I haven't seen their game live to them for a while so I don't know whether they're still doing that but I know when we did see them they were moving positions around the field quite frequently so whether they're still doing that but they just haven't been able to put the score on the board and get the results that they probably should have uh, Rizali kicked a goal uh, McKay kicked a goal Wright kicked a goal for them on the weekend uh, to the Tigers uh, Brett kicked three Stall Smith kicked three Conti Ibrahim Kennedy and Wakefield, the other goal kickers. Um, inside 50s, big difference here for Richmond. They had 40, just 15 for Carlton. 49 hitouts, 17 in favour of the Tigers as well. 43 marks to the Tigers to just 16 for Carlton. So dominated uh, on the weekend. Richmond probably should have had a bigger margin. Um, Monique Conti, 26 touches on the weekend, also laid six tackles. And Brazali uh, racking up 18 touches as well for the Blues, one of their shining lights from the weekend. 
We go to the final game of the round. This was at VU Witten Oval. I talked up this game as being a potential upset considering the form the Bombers had been in and the Bulldogs coming off the bye. But heck, what did I know? What did any of us know? As part of the triple treat of horror for the Essendon Football Club on Saturday, their women's side also suffered a heavy defeat. Just the three behinds, the Western Bulldogs, 6 47 and I'm glad you put that on record, Pete. So the three losses for Essendon can go down to you because you moz the, the VFLW side. Yep. Um, yep. I'll own that. Uh, I'm glad, glad you uh, had that cued ready to go. Um, yeah, look, I think the, the Bombers, they've been similar in a lot of respects to the AFL side. I think they've been running on a bit of adrenaline recently. They've had a good month or so of footy, but they've also been crueled by a couple of injuries to some of their leading stars out on the field, which is, I think, starting to hurt some of the younger brigade coming through because they've been up and about. They might just be starting to fatigue, and I think the weekend's result was a bit of a fall off the cliff for the Bombers, um, which is disappointing because I think they would have liked to have finished the season on a high, given the results that they have got in the last month. For the Western Bulldogs, they're, they're another they're another one of these sides that I can't get a read on. I just I don't know where they're going to fit in the scheme of things come the end of the season. They should be there or thereabouts, but again, when they don't have a good day, they don't have a good day. Um, so I, I'm just not concerned about them, but I'm just really perplexed. Um, by just how their season has unfolded. And, and in theory, they probably should be pushing for a top two or three spot and because they've got the cattle to and the list to be able to do that. Um, they should have had a bigger win here too. 11 behinds uh, amongst their final score on the weekend. Most of those coming uh, in the final term. Uh, sorry, in the second half. Lachlan kicked two goals for them. Ward, Blackburn and McLeod, their other goal kickers, sorry, Ward kicked two goals in it with Lachlan. 55% of the ball was in the hands of the Bulldogs on the weekend. And again, uh, the stats uh, alarmingly in favour of the Bulldogs. 41 to 16 uh, for the inside 50s, 40 to 24 in the the hit-outs area, 36-26 in favour of the Bulldogs for the marks as well. So complete domination for the Bulldogs. Their leading possession getter on the weekend was Gavilus with 26 touches. Blackburn uh, racked up 25 touches and laid seven tackles. Dan Scowan for the Bombers has been a name that's been prominent on the disposals list and also uh, other stats as well. She had 21 touches on the weekend and laid six tackles. And then uh, a player who I'm getting the impression with the performances that she's putting in at the most senior level of women's football that she can at the moment, Georgia Patrikios, under-18 girls player uh, from the Calder Cannons in the Bombers' side, 21 touches on the weekend, also laid 11 tackles. She's going to be definitely a high draft pick, if not number one. The MVP for the Vic Metro squad and also for the AFLW Under-18 Championship. She is a star and she's proving that at senior women's footy level, she can get the job done. Now, the Southern Saints and Collingwood, that's the top two sides, had the bye as well as the NT Thunder. But as we say, Collingwood had the bye. That's for premiership points. They did actually play a game, and that was on Sunday. We covered it, of course, here on RSCN Carnival 2, and as well via our Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com 
forward slash WARF radio. I know you can see the stream. I know you were watching the stream, Coxie, on Sunday where uh, Collingwood 3-4-22 defeated the GWS Giants, their first loss in the Invitational Series, 1-3-9. Yeah, got to tune in for for a little bit of this game, and um, yeah, well, Collingwood caused an upset and went the complete opposite direction in terms of the cattle that they put out on the park compared to some of the other sides that we've seen in these invitational series from the, the Victorian teams. Um, I think it was good. I think Collingwood needed to put themselves into a position to get some stability, um, and when I'm by what I mean by stability, it's not in terms of the cattle going out onto the park, but in, it's in terms of their performances because I think we can class them in a similar situation to Hawthorne. On their day, they're incredibly good, incredibly skillful, incredibly dangerous. When they don't have a good day, though, they're at risk of getting knocked off, even though they've been getting over the line and they've only dropped the one game so far this season. Um I think on the weekend, and again, Pete, you, you were there, so you'd know more with this, but I think that the weekend's result for me is a statement in a way, not in terms of margin, but by saying we just played a side that has AFLW backing, AFLW experience, AFLW talent, and we matched it with them and beat them. And that psychologically is going to put them to an advantage because they're the only Victorian side that's been able to do that against the Giants. It's two interesting philosophies coming into uh, the final series with the top two teams both having the bye, but as we said, with Collingwood playing that game against GWS, on one side of the equation, yes, Collingwood beat an AFLW side and they'll be uh, cock-a-hoop about that uh, uh, knowing that they are at, in their minds, peak form. On the other side of the equation... The Southern Saints had the bye. They had the week off. And maybe their psychology is, okay, we're nice and rested and we're ready to go. Time will tell which is the correct philosophy. It will, but I think think the path that both of these sides have gone... Had they they been reversed, had the Southern Saints played GWS and Collingwood had the bye, I think it... That wouldn't have suited either side. I think it would have lost the momentum for Collingwood. I think it would have tired the Southern Saints more than than what they already have. I think it was perfect timing for the Southern Saints to get the bye under their belt, particularly for some of the younger players on that list that they, they just haven't been, at least looking at the, the stat sheet from games, they just haven't been as clean and precise as what they were earlier in the season. Collingwood have been just getting the job done. They've just been falling over the line. They've just been getting the result on the board. This game for them, I think, has sharpened them up. It's, it's got them primed, ready to go. So I think it's the it's almost the perfect preparation for both of these sides. Again, this is just my pure opinion, but I think it's both suited them incredibly well. And I think that means we're going to get a very interesting final series. Again, the final score is 3-4-22 to 1-3-9 Collingwood's way. Goal kickers for Collingwood, Malloy, Dargan and Lambert. For the GWS Giants, Britt Tully was their only goal kicker. Again, the rain came down at various stages through the match and almost flooded out our commentary position as well. Let's take a look. There was a reason that I was watching bits and pieces of the video and not in attendance on the weekend. Uh, uh, yes. the weather that was forecast. Just before we do move on, though, Pope, the GWS Giants... What do we make from their five games 
in the VFLW. I know a couple of times we've said it, it's been a little false to read given the, the opponents that they had at various stages during the, the five-match series. But do, do they take anything away from it? Well, I know for one thing, they bar the Williamstown, they played other sides into form. As soon as other sides played them, despite the loss, they'd go on and you know and have a good run of games after that. What do they take out of it is an interesting question. We, we were speaking to Tanya Hetherington immediately after the game, and for them, they say it is a higher standard than AFL Sydney, and that's what they were happy about. Because of that higher standard, they got better competition, and um, they reckon it develops them as a side. And we'll, Obviously, the results on that will be known once they play in AFLW 2020. But it begs the question of what will happen with the VFLW and their role with invitational matches as well. And there's an interesting pickle coming up. There's a very interesting pickle. There's um, word on the grapevine um, that is an official that um, to try and, I wouldn't say weaken the Adelaide Crows, but to bring them back to the pack a little bit, uh, the AFL was considering taking the Northern Territory away from the Adelaide Crows so you wouldn't have that SANT partnership. And there was talks about possibly... Uh, aligning the NT with the Gold Coast Suns. Now, if that happened, what does that happen with the relationship with the Gold Coast Suns and NT Thunder come um, winter? Um, whether that's a needful competition or if the NT Thunder with the Gold Coast Suns play in the VFLW and because you've got those sides playing in the VFLW, then do you just go as an AFL, okay, let's throw some money at the Lions and throw some money at at the Giants and bring them both into the VFLW and essentially make it an East Coast competition. Yeah, my gut instinct tells me I don't think the latter theory there is going to work. I think we're more likely to get some sort of a a winter series for the northeast corner of Australia. I think it seems to be stacking up when you've got... Uh, the Gold Coast Suns in Brisbane that are obviously playing their own winter series, even though GWS was also involved in that last year with that north-south split. Um, I think if, again, the, the rumour mill's working pretty hard at the moment when it comes to that Central Australia corridor and, and what goes on there, because there's going to also, you would suggest, be flow-on effects to the pathway talent because if I look at it from an under-18 perspective, the Northern Territory Thunder and South Australian squads currently combine to form a central allies, which obviously gives the best indication for that pool of talent to be drafted in that Adelaide reach, if you like, with the access there. So there'd be flow-on effects, you would suggest, but that if Gold Coast are going to get the Northern Territory there, how does that prepare the under-18 talent? So I think there's a lot of hypotheticals, there's a lot of uh, rumours circling, but it does poise an interesting question, just given the way that some of the games happened for GWS throughout the season and the results that they got. I think the only way that we could add credibility to them and for them to get the actual development benefit out of it um, would be to make them a legitimate team in the competition for the VFLW uh, next season and for them to play full-time. I know it's an, ex- mm. an, an expense, but I feel that if you look at their games and if development is the, the area that they want to focus on to help uh, have players be compared to the the Victorian talent and the, the most elite, if you like, in, when it comes to this state league level football, the only way they're going to do that is, is if they play week in, week out 
their training, their playing, their, their match condition for that. Because the, the example that still sticks out in my mind is that they came down in the middle of winter to play at a venue that didn't have the best of surfaces. So you weren't going to play a great game of football in terms of Melbourne University's home ground. The Muggers side that day was full of primarily VAFA talent and nothing against those players would have been a great experience for them. But if you're, you're a GWS and you're looking at that and saying, well, how are we developing if we're not playing the absolute best? So uh, the, the value of it then I think become, becomes the, the issue and are they actually getting out of it what the, they're talking about that they want to get out of it? So I think there's, there's questions to be had. I like the idea of it. I, I think it was great to have the GWS Giants involved, but I think they, they need more continuity, more games, and against better opposition if they're going to get the full benefit out of it. Let's take a look ahead to round 15, the second last round of the competition, our matches of the day, and also what it means on ladder position. Uh, we begin by having a look at the opening game at La Trobe University in Bandura. We'll be live on air Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for an 11 a.m. bounce down. This is 12th versus 13th, the last time in the season we'll get to see Carlton and Darabin. Yeah, well, if we'd said earlier in the year that um, these two sides would be right down the bottom end of the ladder. Um, I'm not sure how many people would have predicted that. I know Darabin, given the, the losses in terms of personnel, um, you could have predicted to finish up down there. Carlton, I don't think you could have. Um, Darabin are in better form. They've had a few more wins. They've looked more competitive on the scoreboard. But they seem to have a little more energy, I think, would be one way of describing it. Carlton just look, um, at least on paper, it, it seems as though they're a bit clunky and uh, they just can't get any drive or, or momentum going forward. So I'm actually going to tip Darabin in this one. I know it's Latrobe University and Carlton have played a couple of games there throughout this season, but I think Darabin have enough confidence to be able to get the job done. 12 p.m. Saturday at Victoria Park. It's Collingwood versus Essendon. This is first versus 10th. And before this weekend, you would have said, well, this is a very intriguing game because Essendon were on a bit of a mini roll despite the loss to the Southern Saints. That really pushed them. Collingwood were looking that they were starting to flounder. But considering the results for both sides over the weekend just gone, it puts a completely different perspective on this game. It does. It does. And um nervous for the Bombers. I think they've stumbled across Collingwood at the wrong time. Had they played them two weeks ago, I think this would have been in a very competitive game for them. I think Collingwood, though, they've found the right gear that they need to be in heading towards September. And as we said before, I think Essendon are just starting to tire a little bit. So I'm... I'm concerned for them. I think this is going to be a hefty margin in favour of Collingwood and they should uh, really cement their top spot on the ladder this weekend. Let's have a look at uh, the game here between Richmond and the Western Bulldogs at the Swinburne Centre, Saturday at 12.30pm. This game, as it sits at the moment is third versus fourth. Yes, technically, one of the sides could fall out of the sixth, but a hell of a lot of things would need to happen for that to go all wrong. Both of these sides mathematically 
could sneak second spot. Richmond actually with the best mathematical chance and the best draw possibilities, depending on the Southern Saints dropping their last two games. It's an intriguing game, isn't it? We've had a we had Melbourne University and Geelong last weekend that was probably in a similar position in terms of the ramifications that it could have on the season. As you said, if whoever wins this one, I think virtually ties up a top four or at least the top, sorry, top three, if not top four spot with the, the win on the weekend. Um, very healthy percentage, so it's hard to see them dropping down unless uh, a monumental disaster occurred for either side. Um, I think I'm going to lean the way of Richmond in this game. I think, again, they've got more consistency over the course of the last few weeks. The Bulldogs are still a little bit up and down. They were inaccurate. Both sides were inaccurate on the weekend, but the Bulldogs slightly more inaccurate uh, than the Tigers. So I'm going to lean with the home side to get the job done. Um, Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bulldogs were able to get over the line. I do make of note that if uh, Richmond do win this game and the Southern Saints lose this weekend, Richmond and the Southern Saints do meet in the final round. Again, there's a big percentage gap to make up, so it'll depend a lot on what happens uh, this week. Uh, we go to our Sunday games. First of all, 11.30am at Casey Fields in Cranbourne. The Casey Demons versus the NT Thunder. This is 8th versus ninth. Level on points. So both sides have had five wins so far this season. Eight losses for the Demons, seven for the Thunder. The Demons will have a bye in the final round of the home and away season. Um, You have to go with the home side. Uh, Casey have been okay. They've been competitive and they've shown some good signs. As I've said a couple of times in this segment throughout the year, they've just lacked that little bit of class, um, the cream on top, if you, if you like, of being able to get the job done. The Northern Territory Thunder, after what was a brilliant 2018, uh, unfortunately 2019 hasn't backed up their expectations of, of getting into the finals. They've had their issues. We, we know that in terms of the personnel availability and the travel. Um, unfortunately, that's meant that They haven't had a consistent side on the park, which means they haven't been able to get the results. And given that they're heading out to Casey Fields on Saturday, and Casey, did they do a number on the Thunder? Yes, they did, in Alice Springs. Yes. So they've got good form against them as well. So Casey, for me, in this one. Sunday, 12 p.m. at Trevor Barker Beach Oval, Sandringham. We'll be live on air at 11 a.m. with this game. The Southern Saints... Versus Hawthorne, this is second versus fifth. The scenario is like this. If the Saints lose, all of a sudden, second position on the table becomes vulnerable heading into the final round. If the Hawks lose, their spot in the top six becomes vulnerable heading into the final round. And uh, it would be a a commentator's dream if Hawthorne do lose because then it makes it incredibly exciting about the final few spots inside the top six rather than just the the one at the moment with Melbourne University and Geelong hot on the heels of Hawthorne. I think this is going to be a good test. And I think we're going to get an insight into how the final 
few weeks of the home and away season are going to unfold for both of these sides from a St Kilda perspective. Coming out of the bye after they're refreshed, whether they've been able to straighten a few things up internally to get themselves into a good position come finals. We'll get an insight into that on the weekend and whether they can find that brilliant form that they had earlier in the year against the fellow side of the competition that in theory is good enough to be in the top two, but also has bad enough games that they can be considered to be sixth, seventh or eighth on the ladder. For Hawthorne, they need to make a statement. I've been calling for it for a couple of weeks and I'm going to call for it again to show that they are capable of knocking off the top sides of the competition. They need to beat the Southern Saints and they need to do it by two to three goals. If the Southern Saints can get within that or beat Hawthorne, then I think the Saints legitimately stamp themselves as one of the top sides of the competition and almost, alongside Collingwood, would go into premiership favouritism. That's how vital I think this game is going to be for either side. It all depends on how the Saints come off that bye because, again, they looked wobbly against Essendon at Windy Hill. Again, that game will be live on RSN Carnival 2 from 11am. And as part of a doubleheader on Sunday, we then cross to Downer Oval in Williamstown. Now, technically... This will probably not be a close game when you look at it on paper. This is the last side, Williamstown versus the seventh team, the Geelong Cats. GoFooty.Live's call will be taking. But the most important thing about this is if Geelong win, it's how much they win by, which will then come down to a crucial percentage crunch in the final round. If Williamstown calls an upset, that's it. Geelong's done. Everyone pack up and go home. But it comes down to Geelong and by how much. Well, now that you've said that, Pete, I'm going to go for an upset here. I think Williamstown can end Geelong's season. I will throw in this fact. I will throw in this fact. Moana Hope will not be playing because she is getting married on Saturday. Which strengthens my tip for Williamstown, to be brutally honest with you. Wow. Um, So there's no logic in it, but the... There are games towards the end of the year, particularly when you're playing the bottom side of the competition, where if you're not switched on and if Williamstown have revved up enough, yes, they haven't been scoring the last couple of weeks and their season's virtually over, rewind back 12 months. They knocked off Melbourne University in the final round of the home and away season against a side that had a lot of talent playing that day. That's why I think Williamstown are a sneaky chance to knock the Cats off. Again, logic dictates that you should be tipping the Cats and it should be a walk in the park and they should make a dent into the 30-odd percent that they've got to make up to draw close to Melbourne University and and throw themselves in the mix if Hawthorne do fall into their lap with the result. But they have to be switched on 100%. And if not, Williamstown, I think, could give them a run for the money, particularly if conditions are as they were on the weekend just gone. Hopefully not as bad, but if it's wet, if it's windy, I think that might favour Williamstown a little more.
I'll throw this at you as of the time that we are recording this segment. Of course, Melbourne University have the bye. They are one win ahead of Geelong. But, of course, if Geelong win, that will draw a level. It's about 33% difference in percentage on the table. But Geelong is coming up against the side with the weakest percentage in the competition. Weemstown at the bottom of the table on 36.36%. You are hoping for rain in wet, windy, awful conditions at Downer Oval. As of this moment, the Bureau of Meteorology suggests it will be mostly sunny and 18 degrees. <laughs> Fast track. Uh... So you, 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 you're making me look like an absolute I, goose. I think we could be in the area of what GWS did to Weemstown back when we did uh, one of our earlier broadcasts at the start of the year. If Ge- I think Geelong have the talent, which they could go for a 70 or 80-point blowout and then all of a sudden get out your calculators for the final round. Yeah, well, that's why I think Geelong are in trouble because I think they're entering this game thinking they've got the job done. And there's still a game of footy to be played. There's an opportunity here for Williamstown. They need to seize it, in my eyes. I know Cats fans won't be very happy with me suggesting that. And, look, they probably will win. But there are games like this in the end of the season that if you're not tuned appropriately and you give the opposition a sniff... And I, again, I hark back to that final game of the home and away season last year where we called Williamstown against Melbourne University at Tin Alley. It was a game that Melbourne University were expen- expected to romp home. They obviously weren't um, in contention for finals at that point, but they were still a fairly decent outfit and they had a lot of North Melbourne players playing that day. And Williamstown got the job done against them. I'll just leave you with that. And that is the perfect note to end things. Coxie, thanks very much for your company. And we look forward to hearing from you again next week when we have a look back at your tips and then talk about the final round of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Well, depending on how that result does go, you may or may not hear from me. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this program airs every Wednesday at 6pm right here on RSN Carnival. That's Australian Eastern Standard Time. And immediately after the show finishes going to air, you can listen back as a podcast by going to the RSN website, rsn.net.au. Click on Programs and search for Women's Australian Rules Football. You can also find this podcast by going to Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, wherever you get your favourite podcast, you're just searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.